At this time, I would like to introduce Kevin and Karen Prevost. They are missionaries to Spain. We are supporters of them. We have for a long time. They are here on furlough to uh, raise uh, their funds to get ready to go back. They're going to tell us more about their ministry. And at this point, would you just welcome Karen and Kevin? Amen. Well, I think you would all agree that slavery is one of the most shameful parts of our history. Today, it is unthinkable to own another human being because of the color of their skin. But do you know today there are actually 27 million slaves in the world, mostly a result of human trafficking, women and children being bought and sold. But worse still, there might even be slaves among us here today, slaves to sin. Because when someone has hurt you deeply, and you rehearse that scene in your mind over and over and over again. Use your words to criticize that person, make them look small in other people's eyes, or secretly rejoice when they fail. You're becoming more and more enslaved to unforgiveness, bitterness, and even hate. Or when you're on internet and you click on that porn page, and you indulge in those lustful thoughts, or you take the next step, and you have intimate relations with someone that you are not married to, you're becoming more and more enslaved to lust and immorality. Or when you decide what you want to do with your life, you take God off the throne, you put yourself there, you're more interested in what people think about you than what God thinks, you are becoming more and more enslaved to selfishness and to pride. And you cannot break your chains. And the problem is not only living this life enslaved to sin, but the other end of these chains will one day pull you down to an eternity far from God. So what hope is there? How can you get rid of your chains? You know, the only way to set a slave free is to purchase their freedom. 2,000 years ago when Jesus got up on that cross, he took your chains with him. And he paid for your sin with every drop of his blood. And the resurrection proved the price was paid in full. Jesus is the only one who can break your chains. But the choice comes back to you. Because you can choose to live like this. But this morning, if you know that you have chains in your life, you can just say, Jesus, I don't want to live anymore with my pride and selfishness, with my lust and immorality with my bitterness, unforgiveness, and hate. Take it all. Take it all away. Take my whole life. I want to follow you. And when you tell him that, he will break those chains off you and give you freedom to live a life that pleases him. Why would you live one more day enslaved to sin? Give everything to Jesus today. Well, that is what takes place six nights a week in downtown Madrid, Spain. We're part of the ministry called On the Red Box, and we're right in the very heart of Madrid. It's a plaza like Times Square, New York. 120,000 people go through there every single day, so there's always people to talk to, always people that will listen. And we work, we work with uh, other churches, people that come from many different churches, and they want to learn how to evangelize. So we actually started mentoring them. We started a local school where we have materials, that books that they can read, we teach them how to give their testimony in two minutes, how to do an illustrated message like we did, and then all of our listeners mingle with the crowd. And at the end of our message, when we offer literature, then we start conversations and do one-on-one -on -one evangelism with them. 
And this has been going on in the streets of Madrid for almost 15 years. And so many, many people from all over the world have heard the gospel. Many people have given their chains to Jesus, given their lives to him. We connect them with local churches. But a lot of seed has been sown, and you've had a part of that. And we want to thank you because you've been partnering with us. I've also had the privilege these last several years of coming alongside a ministry that does work with women that are coming out of human trafficking. It's called Project Rescue Spain. And you might have seen on the table out there, there's some handcrafted jewelry that the women make. And it's all part of the restoration process, getting them on the road to becoming whole in every way, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And you've also sown into their lives. And we want to thank you for that. And there's a couple things I encourage you to pick up on our table. One is our, our new prayer card. Pray for us. Continue to pray for us. We can't do anything of any value without the Holy Spirit. And that's where you come in, to stand with us. Also, uh, in addition to the jewelry, there's some, these are note cards. They're blank inside. This is from an original painting I did that hangs on, in the safe home. The whole symbol of the project is the butterfly New Life in Christ, A New Beginning, that's the name of the safe home. And so all the proceeds for the jewelry from the cards go to help support the women in the home. And lastly, but most importantly, and it was beautiful to see what God had to share, God wants to use you, all of you, to reach the people around you. And so Kevin shared a little bit in Sunday School this morning. This is basically... The foundation of our, our evangelism training, we, we also have an online school, and in the past uh, 10 years, 5,000 people have gone through our training program, and there are 55 red box teams around the world, not only in Spain, but Europe and Latin America as well. And so you've had a part of that, but we want to make this available to you because God wants to use you to reach people. So this is very helpful in personal evangelism. These only cost $2. You can also download it for free from the website ontheredbox.com. So we just want to encourage you. Together, let's continue to break these chains off people's lives, not only in Spain, but here in Charlevoix, too. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Great. Thank you, worship team. That was great. I enjoyed that worship. Got a couple of Phil Kagis in the group. Who knows who Phil Cakey is? A guitar player. <laughs> a few, yeah. Great. You know, we've been uh, in Spain for almost 32 years. And, uh, you know, being a missionary for 31 years, almost 32 years, that's not my purpose in life. My purpose in life isn't to be a missionary. Do you know what your God-given purpose is? If I were to ask you, Tell me just that quick. Do you know what your God-given purpose in life is? Well, in this life, we all have different types of jobs, vocations. But, you know, that's not our purpose in life. We really all have the same purpose. And we see this all through Scripture from the beginning to the end. We were all created for one purpose. And that is that our lives would bring glory to God. Would bring glory to God. That's, our, that's what we are created for. And we see in Scripture that everything created gives glory to God. Human beings are the only ones that have a choice whether their, their lives are going to give glory to God or not. Jesus said it this way, just for a few Scriptures. said that they may see your good works and glorify my Father in heaven. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. 
Paul kind of wraps up the whole thing, kind of, you know, brings everything into the picture. He says, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And there he's talking about eating and, and drinking, right? I mean, everything. That's our purpose in life, that our lives would bring glory to God. But I've come to find out as Christians, you know, when, when uh, his purpose isn't central in our lives, that governing factor in our lives, our lives don't run very smoothly. They're kind of out of balance, even as Christians. It reminds me we're kind of like those clowns at the circus. <laughs> Let me explain that. You might have seen this. These uh, clowns at the circus, some of them have these special bicycles. And the, the axle hub isn't in the center of the wheel. They're off-center, in the front wheel and the back wheel. And so when the clowns get on these bikes to ride them, you know they're going up and down and swaying back and forth, and it's pretty funny to watch. But I, I've come to find out, you know, that's, that's really what happens to our lives as Christians when God's purpose isn't central in our lives. I'm here for one purpose, that my life would bring glory to God. And when that's off-center, and it is off-center in all of our lives, you know, but God's working to bring that, his purpose, that we live for his glory, central in our lives. But when it isn't central, we're kind of off balance as Christians. High and lows from one victory to defeat, victory to defeat, emotional roller coaster at times. And if you're not careful, you end up really becoming uh, a high-maintenance Christian. I think we've all gone through those times, right? We're high-maintenance Christians. But that's not God's purpose. And as his purpose, we really start to live for the glory of God. I mean, here for one purpose. Boy, it brings stability into your life. Uh, it really does. It changes everything. It doesn't make, make your life necessarily any easier. It doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. But when you go through those problems, your whole focus has changed as well. So what? Things didn't go my way? Going through a real hard time? Wish it wasn't this way? But God, how can you be glorified through this situation? It's incredible how God can bring his, his glory through any of our difficult situations, even things that he doesn't, wouldn't wish for us. When we come to a place where we submit and say, God, I'm here for your glory. We see this in Jesus' life, Paul's life, and he said, and they just come back to the same thing. No, this was for God's glory. This was for God's glory. Paul's in prison and said, okay, God, what do you want to do? How can you be glorified? It just changes everything in your life. You know, we're, we get so shaken so many times because we really live for our own glory in so many ways. Things don't go our way and we just, you know, sends us for a loop. But, uh, but that's why this reason, the reason of being uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit is so important. You know, so that his power can flow through us, as Jesus said, as rivers of living water in all types of different good works that bring glory to God. A lot of times when we think about baptism in the Holy Spirit, you know, we just think of the spiritual gifts. But it's really power to minister to others. Rivers of living water flowing out of us that bring uh, glory to God. We know, we, I think we all know the verse in, in Acts 1-8 where Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, I know I'm baptized in the Spirit. I was baptized in the Spirit probably three months after I was saved. But I had this problem with this verse. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I used to say in this for a number of years, Lord, I know I'm baptized in the Spirit. I know many of my friends are baptized in the Spirit. But how is it 
I can be baptized in the Spirit and have so little power. Because it seems to go against the verse. How is that? And, and I questioned the Lord about this probably for about five years in a row. You know, and I used to think, you know, rivers the living water? I don't think so, flowing out of me. I might sprinkle once in a while, maybe splash once in a great while, but there's not a river. How can I be baptized and have so little power? Well, one day I'm reading in Acts 2.18, and it's a scripture from the Old Testament, but it says, Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And as I read that, the Lord so spoke to my heart. He said, Kevin, my power is for my servants. And then, he, well, we think we're all servants of God. But then he clarified it. He said, my power is those who live for my interest. My power is for those who live for my interest. Really helps define what a real servant is. A real servant lives for the interest of another person. And, uh, boy, it just changed so much. You know, because you can't live for God's glory without living for his interest. To live for God's glory means to live for his interest. They're, it's the, they're synonyms, if you will. So we need to ask ourselves, do we really live for the glory of God? Am I really living for the glory of God? And I know we're all trying to live and grow in holiness, and that's super important because a holy life brings glory to God. We're making progress there. But think with me just for a moment. Do we really live for God's interest? Think about your prayer life. What are the main things you pray about? My spouse, <laughs> that he or she would change. You know, my spouse, my children, right? Uh, my job, my lack of job, my education, my car. God, I need this, I need that. And, uh, you know, and as we look at that, we really see that, boy, you know, maybe my life is really, you know, controlled by my own interests. And, uh, and it seems like that when you really think about the things we pray about. Why, my life is really dominated by my own interest. And of course God cares about these things, and they're important to him. But they almost seem to be non-issues to him. What are you talking about? Are you saying my marriage? Are you saying my marriage is a non-issue to God? Are you saying my children are non-issue to God? Well, before you throw any stones... Let me tell you, uh, remind you how Jesus talked about this. This is how that he said it. He says in Matthew 6, 33, But seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be taken care of. It's not that they're not important, but God wants you to live for his interests. Put his interests first. Uh, keep them in first place in your life, and he's going to look out for all of your interests. That's how he deals with it. That's why I'm saying it's like a non-issue. He says, don't worry, Jesus. says, don't worry about all that stuff. Live for my interest. Live for God's interest, and God's going to look out for your interest. The, uh, I have a friend that's an engineer, and uh, he was working in this firm. This was in Minnesota. It looks like you don't believe me. I really do. I do have a friend. But, and uh, anyway, there was a couple Christians in this firm, and they wanted to use the the lunchroom for a prayer meeting before they started work, you know, during the morning. So he went to management and said, you know, there's a few of us Christians here, and we'd like to just use the lunchroom, you know, before we start work. won't cost the company any money, and we won't bother anybody. So 
management said, no way, it's not going to happen. Well, during this time, they're working on this, uh, this project. It was a bid for the state of Texas. had to do with a water meter. This water meter was underground for residential places, and they'd just be able to drive by and wave the magic wand and get the reading, you know, without stopping. So, but there was a problem. The problem was this water would get inside this water meter, and, and then it wouldn't, it wouldn't send correct readings. So a number of um, engineering firms were working on this bid, but to get the bid, you had to solve the problem, right? So everybody's working, because we're talking multi-multi-million dollar contracts. And uh, so he was working on it, and uh, he's at church, and they have a prayer meeting uh, during the week, once a week. And he was there, you know, they were taking some prayer requests. He said, you know, I'm working on this project, and we can't come up with a solution for this water meter. I wonder if we could pray about it, because I'm just, you know, racking my brain, and there's no solution for it. So they said, sure, we'll pray about it. So they prayed about it. Well, a couple days later, God just downloaded in his mind the solution for the problem. And he brought it, and, and sure enough, it worked. And uh, the company got the multi-million dollar contract. Right? So management calls them in. said, we want to know how you figured out a solution for this problem. No one other engineer could figure it out. None of the other firms could figure it out. How were you able to figure it out? And he told me, he said, boy, I was tempted to say I was smart enough to figure it out. But he said, you know, I could not figure it out. Um, but we have a prayer meeting at our church, and I asked them to pray about it, and God just downloaded the, the idea, the solution in my mind. Well, management saw prayer, multi-million dollar contracts. I guess you guys can use the uh, lunchroom for prayer. But this, you know, it's cool about this whole thing. This has been happening this prayer meeting is still going on 15 years, for 15 years. Because here's a man that said, God, I'm going to live for your glory. You know? And just to come right out and say, no, you know, I believe in Jesus. I live for Jesus. And he gave me the solution. You know, I tell you this story because I don't want you to think living for God's glory has to do with just being in the ministry. We can live for God's glory no matter where we live, no matter where we work. But it really decides depends on us. Are we going to put our interests before his interests? Are we going to come to that place and say, God, I'm willing to come to that place where I to myself, I want to live for your glory. And as you do that, you'll start to see that how God will start to manifest, you know, in many, many different ways. The, uh, there's just non-ending ways that God can be glorified through your life. That's not hard for him. He has all the answers. He has all the power for any given situation. Maybe God wants to be glorified in your life in some way through the carnival. Who knows? There, God has good works prepared for you. He does. The, uh, so we say, okay, let's live for God's glory. Seems simple enough, doesn't it? You know. But I found that it's extremely difficult to live for the interest of another person. Extremely different. You've set your interests aside for another person. And God is a person. And God has certain interests. The, uh, let me, just uh, in Philippians 2.19, we get an idea of how difficult it is to live for God's glory, to live for his purposes. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
You know what's so surprising about these verses? Where he says, everyone lived for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's not even really talking about believers. He's talking about other leaders, other ministers that worked with him. He's saying, of all these people that I have to work with me, I can only really send Timothy. Because he's really the only one that looks out, you know, lives for the interest of, of Jesus Christ. The, uh, you know, these other leaders, when you think about it, I, I'm sure they weren't living sinful lives. Paul wouldn't put up with it. You know, I, I believe that he's probably lived like most of us live, you know, these other leaders. Lord, I'm trying to live a good life. Now please, please look out for all my interest. That's kind of seems how we've downsized Christianity. God, I'm, I'm trying not to live in sin. Now please, please look out for all my interest. And we've really become the center. Instead of God's glory becoming the center and living for his glory. Have you ever really been to think about it for a second? You know, how worried we can be when things don't go our way, right? Or, or concerned or, you know, get so upset by it. But have you ever really been concerned and worried about God's interest not being met? Have you ever been concerned about God's interest not being met? It's a pretty foreign concept to us, isn't it? We think God's big enough to take care of himself. Right? Why do I have to look after his interest? You know, when our, when our kids aren't doing well, we're not doing well, are we, as parents? We're so connected. But how about God's kids? How about God's kids? Those of the family that haven't come into the family yet. Who's concerned about them? You know, Paul talks here, and he gives us a... just makes it so clear what it means to live for God's interest... It means to look out for the welfare of other people. That's how you live for God's interest. You look out for the welfare of other people. Jesus said, oh, you gave a glass of water to the least of, of these? Well, you did that for me. Oh, you visited somebody in prison? Well, you visited me. That's what it means to live for the interest of, and, uh, of God, look out for the welfare of other people. Well, that's why we need this power of the Holy Spirit, right? To look out for the welfare of other people. And as we seek more and more of this power, this flow of the Holy Spirit through our lives, we need to be equally passionate at the same time, right, about loving Jesus more and more. Never separate the two. Don't separate the two. A lot of times in Christianity, we kind of separate the two. You know, we just go after more and more of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we forget the importance of being falling in love with Jesus more and more. Um, because, you know, when the Holy Spirit starts to use you, you can get a reputation of being alive, being a man or woman of God. And uh, Samson had this. Well, you know, a, a good example, or maybe we could say a bad example of this whole thing, the separation of the anointing and love for God is Samson. He had the anointing. He had the reputation of being alive, being a man of God. And, and he was in that sense, you know. But God always looks at the heart. God's not deceived by the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our lives. You know, he always looks at the heart. He looks deeper. And we see Jesus talking about this to the church members of Sardis. He says it this way. He says, I know your deeds, that you have a reputation of being alive. Now, you don't get a reputation of being alive if your deeds are evil, if you're living in sin. 
But Jesus goes on to say, even though you have this reputation of being alive, you're dead. You're dead. How can that be? Because God always looks at the heart. right? He, he looks to see if there's a burning love in our hearts for Jesus. That's what makes us really alive to God and for God. A burning heart for Jesus, a love. Is there, is there a burning love in your heart for Jesus? Or has it gone down to just a pilot life? You know, to seek to have more and more of the anointing of the Holy Spirit without a growing love for Jesus is an extremely dangerous road to travel. Extremely dangerous. We see this in Samson, right? He had the anointing without this growing love for God. We see this right from the very beginning of his ministry. Um, he basically lived for his own interest. Remember, he first starts out in ministry, great anointing, sees this hot pagan woman, and he says, get her for me. She pleases me. And his parents said, but aren't there some, you know, believers, some women in, amongst all the Israelites, believers in Jehovah? He didn't want to hear it. No, she pleases me. Get her for me. He didn't care what God thought. He didn't care anything about God's interest. He lived for his, basically his own interest, even though he had this anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life. And... Uh, And this still happens today. You know, when Samson lived that way, his life, if you think about it, ended in ruins. Literally in ruins, didn't it? I mean, literally ended in ruins. And that still happens today. You know, you, can, you hear about somebody moving in the gifts of the Spirit and the power of God, and a few months down the road, you hear some type of scandal, financial, moral scandal, and you think, man, how could that be? That must have, must have been God when he was moving through that person. Well, it probably was God. Because the anointing of the Holy Spirit is power to minister to others. But what really protects us is our heart. Right? Our heart, our love for Jesus helps us to move away from the things that displease him. Right? He who loves me obeys me. Right? It's really our heart. And, uh, but God is merciful, and that's why he lets anointing flow people minister because it's power to minister God's concerned about the needs of other people but uh, we don't want our lives to end up that way that's why I'm saying don't be deceived by the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life how's your heart condition is there a fire for Jesus or is it burnt down to just a pilot life because um, it's really our love for God that motivates us to live in a way that pleases him and I've come to find out in ministry that it's really easier to get anointing for ministry than to keep your heart on fire for Jesus. I don't know why that is, but it's that way. It's that way, you know. Um, we need to uh, really care for that fire, you know. When you really love somebody, you think about the importance of this. When you really love somebody, it's a lot easier to live for their interest, isn't it? Especially when you first started dating, falling in love. Whatever you want to do, dear. <laughs> Wherever you want to eat, let's eat there. You know, you just put your interest aside for their interest. You do that because you're in love. And this whole idea that we think that we could start to live for God's glory, for his interest, without a growing love for Jesus, it's just not going to happen. It won't happen. You're not going to put your interest aside for his interest without a growing love for him. We're just deceiving ourselves. We're just becoming religious. That, do that doesn't happen. That's, that's why it's so important to keep falling in love with Jesus. 
Keep throwing wood, if you will, on that fire every day. Keep that fire burning for Jesus on a daily basis. You know, if you really want to start to live for God's interest, you've got to grow at the same time uh, in love with him. And there's, there's nobody else that can do that for you. The pastor can't do that for you. Your spouse can't do that for you. You've got to tend the fire for Jesus in your own heart on a daily basis. You've got to take some steps. You've got to, you know, make it a priority. You have to block out that time and just do that. You know, um, without a growing love for Jesus, Christianity is just kind of bearable. Just bearable. It's not exciting. You lose your fire, right, in your marriage. Doesn't mean you're going to get divorced, but it's not that exciting, is it? You know, it's just bearable. But uh, you, I, let me throw this in. I've never s said this before in this sermon, but it just comes to mind. The, uh, the very best way to, to be in love with your spouse, to grow in love with your spouse, is to spend time with God. He's John, we see it in the book, first book of John says that he who loves God, right, loves his brother. So when you spend time with God because God is love, it just kind of flashes over on you. And you won't have to try to force yourself to be in, more in love with your spouse. It just happens. I mean, it just happens. You can't stop it. You know, you just can't stop it. And these people say, oh, oh <laughs> I love God, you know, it's just... That me and my spouse, we don't get along, you know. And it's just not true. It's just not true. He, you know, John's so clear on it. He says he, says he loves God and he can't see, and, you know, and he doesn't love the brother that he can see. John says that. He's a liar. <laughs> That's a, he's just a liar. You know, you can't spend time with God who's love and not fall more in love with your spouse. You'll just see it's grow. You can't stop it. And sometimes you wonder, I don't know why I'm so in love with my spouse. You know, it just grows. Um, okay, let's get back to business here. The, uh, but, you know, that's my marriage counseling. <laughs> it's so, it's so, it isn't that complicated. Anyway, the, uh, one of the books that we love, uh, we've read numerous times, Karen and I, about guarding that fire for Jesus. It's called Secrets of the Secret Place by Bob Sorge. Secrets of the Secret Place. Well, God has an amazing blessed life planned for us. You know, he really does want us to have a blessed life. Rivers of living water flowing out of us to meet the needs of others. That's God's idea of a blessed life. A blessed life is the life that blesses others, right? And few things compare with this feeling. When you start to live for God's glory, that means what? Looking out for the needs of others. You say, whoa, this is awesome. I feel fulfilled in life feel, you know, fulfilled. This is what I was created for. And you really do feel fulfilled because that's the way God is. You know, a lot of Christians say, you know, Christianity is okay, but, man, there's something lacking in my life. And it's usually that. It's usually because you're living for your own interest instead of living for God's interest. And you start to give yourself over to live for his interest, look out for the, the, the welfare of other people. My fulfillment comes in. And, and stability comes in your life. And man, it, life gets exciting. Um, 
But that's why we really need this anointing of the Holy Spirit at the same time, you know. Uh, but it's, it's not easy to get to a place of a flow of the Holy Spirit through your life to minister to other people. And in my own life, this was probably three or four years ago, I remember praying and calling out to God. I don't know if I was play, praying or complaining, but I'm, I was basically saying, God, I'm tired of pursuing this level of anointing. You know, this flow of the Holy Spirit, I just can't get there. I'm sorry my life doesn't bring you more glory, but I just can't get there. It seems impossible, you know. And during that time, well, you know, basically wanted to give up, you know, become mediocre. And the Lord spoke to my heart through a verse. That, if you have it, it's a great verse to meditate on, Second Timothy 2.10. Through this time, the Lord spoke to my heart through this verse. Therefore, I endure everything. Right? For the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It was so clear to me as I read this. You know, you need to persevere, as the Lord is speaking to my heart, you need to persevere in seeking more of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, not for your sake, but for their sake, that they might be saved. Boy, how that changed. You know, we think of the anointing, oh, I need it, I need it. Well, it's really that they need it. Others need it. But it needs to flow through you. It changed my mentality so much. Helped me to keep persevering. I need to keep persevering, not for me, but for them. And, uh, and it so changed my life in the way I thought. You know, as for me, I could conform to sprinkling, maybe splashing once in a while, but because I, know, because I know how hard it is to be full of the Spirit. It's not easy. It's not an easy thing. But when I saw, clearly saw that my love for Jesus, or my lack of love for Jesus, my anointing of the Holy Spirit, or my lack of anointing of the Holy Spirit, was affecting the destiny, the eternal destiny of other people, I could no longer conform with little. You realize that? That your life, your love for Jesus... Lack of it, your anointing or the lack of it, is affecting the eternal destiny of people that are around you. It's affecting your family. It's affecting your kids. It's affecting your neighbors. We don't like to think that, do we? We don't like to think that way. But I could show you a number of scriptures that it's, it's that way. It is that way. Paul says, I'm going to pure. You remember when Paul was thinking about, man, I'd like to die and go to heaven. He was really wanted to die and go to heaven. But he says, you know, if I stay here, I know that it'll be fruitful for you, for your benefit. And so because I know it'll be good for your benefit, I'm going to stay. You know, our life affects the eternity of other people. We don't have to have the power. God's got the power. But he won't force our heart to love him, to seek him. That's something we have to choose to do. And uh, when I saw that, boy, I could no longer be content. Okay, God, I'm just going to keep persevering. More anointing, more love for Jesus, right? The, uh, his power is for those who live for his glory, right? That's where his power is really, for those who live for his interest. Those who look out for the, the welfare of other people. And that's what God's all about. You know, to be a Christian is to become more like Jesus. You know, when God, God, that's what missions is all about. 
God was looking out for the welfare, our welfare. When Je that's when he sent Jesus. And when Jesus came, when he got up on that cross, he was looking out for your welfare. Think about this. He was looking out for your welfare because he didn't want you to go to hell for eternity. He was looking out for my welfare. He didn't do it for himself. That's what missions is all about. That's what Jesus, that's what God's all about. He's all about looking out for the welfare of other people. And uh, he doesn't want anyone to perish, right? But all to come to repentance. What's God's number one interest? What's God's number one interest in the world? The salvation, right? Salvation. Paul says, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to persevere. You know, when in the Old Testament we see that God's looking for, he's looking for a people, he's looking for a place to demonstrate his power, his glory, right? And uh, he's not only looking for people, he's uh, people, he's actually looking for a group of people. You know that God right now is looking into each one of our hearts. And he's looking at the decisions that we're making, even as I'm speaking. He's looking for people. He's looking in our heart to see of those that are willing to start to really live for his glory. Because he's looking. It is, and it's curious that he's looking. God wants to demonstrate his power, his glory. He wants to bring more people into the kingdom through our lives, his children, right? Like Paul says, all right. That persevere for the sake of the, the, the elect, that they might be saved. He's looking. Could you imagine as a church? As a church, we got people that are tending that fire on a daily basis, their love for Jesus, and at the same time calling out for more anointing. You know, God's looking for a place. Why not this church? Why not this church? A place where God can demonstrate his presence and his glory and his power. But that happens as a church. The church is us. That can't happen if one person does that. It's, it doesn't all depend upon the pastor. It depends on each one of us. Tending that fire. Calling out to God. You know, don't criticize the church because you're criticizing yourself. God's looking for a place to demonstrate his glory and his power in your personal life, and together, corporately, as we come together. Can you imagine coming together every Sunday, just, oh, this, oh, let's see what God's going to do today. Let's see what God's going to do today. Changes everything. Changes everything in your life. Okay, God, what are you going to do today in my life, through my life, to the people that I work with? Amen. I'm going to ask you, let's just, I'm going to close in prayer. But I'm going to ask you, if this is your heart's cry, God, I want to stop living for my interest. I want to start for living for your interest. I don't want to be a high-maintenance Christian my whole life. I want you to be glorified through my life. God, I want you to do a new work of grace in my life. Help me to be disciplined and putting logs on that fire for you on a daily basis. I want to stop living for myself and live for you. If that's your heart cry, I'd like to ask you just to stand up where you are. I just want to pray for all of us, but, but don't stand up. If, if it's not really your heart cry, I'm not going to think any different of you. But if that's your heart cry, 
and ask you just to stand up, and I'm going to pray as we end. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, I just I thank you, Father, that you are so patient with us. You're so patient with us because you continue to look out for our interest. And you know our greatest interest is to live for your interest, that we live for your glory, that we live for the welfare of other people. We thank you, God, for your great patience with us, God. But we don't want to stay where we are. We want to be like Paul. We want to keep persevering. We want to persevere, Lord God, for the sake of other people, for their welfare. Hallelujah. Do a new work of grace. Give us more hunger for Jesus. Help us to be disciplined on a daily basis and setting aside some time, maybe just a small bit of time at first, but help us be consistent and that will grow by itself. Oh God, renew our love for you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. A greater anointing of the Holy Spirit for the welfare of other people. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for the message. We thank you for the example of what we were given today by Karen and by Kevin and as to what it really means to stand up for Jesus in a dark world, in a world that is confusing. We thank you for that. Lord, I just pray, and I just pray for the uh, prevost this morning that you would just continue to anoint their life, anoint their ministry. Lord, be with them in their Spain uh, endeavors. Be with them while they're home here. Help them to get some comfort and some relaxation and to rest up so when they go back that they're ready to go again and ready to uh, charge up again and that, that 55 other teams that they are uh, coordinating and, and helping. And Lord, help us to get that fire here in Jesus' name. 